0: But to me, it would be absolutely fantastic to take it to to the extreme and maybe to get the whole globe to to try and work on helping each other and, and achieving the best possible world for everything in it. Some of us, we sometimes refer to this as this Genesis project.
1: Rain podcast welcome to another episode of Unleash Your Supernova. This is a companion podcast to the Unleash Your Supernova book, a guide to mindfulness, manifestation, and creative entrepreneurship and life. I am your host, Nova Lorraine, award-winning fashion designer, author, founder, as well as award-nominated producer and host. Just like an exploding star, we all have the ability to shine millions of times more than the sun to expand into the greatest, brightest version of ourselves, reaching our fullest potential. Join myself and my inspiring guests as we guide you on a journey of growth, creativity, and manifestation in business, life, and maybe even the metaverse. My guests are creative entrepreneurs from around the world, doing what they love while shining a light to others don't forget to listen and subscribe and continue to unleash your supernova today i am so excited to have my guest mike harsany with us today hi mike
0: hello nova
1: yeah and we are going to talk about harmony collaboration and ai what is any of the how do all of those go together but we're going to get into that but before we do I want to share with you a little more about Mike's background. Mike is the CEO of Woodpecker Software, custom builder of enterprise resource planning systems. He is a pioneer of AI-supported coding and integration technology. He is also the founder of Woodpecker Creation, otherwise known as WP Creation, as well as WP Generator, Woodpecker Generator. He is the author of Smart ERP Blog, And he's a champion of the digital workforce, especially seeking synergy between humans and software. Mike is also the author of The Book of Mankind, a musician, and in his previous life, he was the owner and creative director of a fashion company for 10 years. So wow, what a varied background, Mike, from music to authoring fashion, software systems, AI. I can't wait to dive in and learn more about your background, your journey, and of course, how you're unleashing your supernova.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Nova. I don't think anyone can compete with you. (laughs) Multifaceted abilities and knowledge, but I try.
1: (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we dive into harmony, collaboration, and AI, and what do all those have to do with us finding happiness in life and work and our environments, I want to talk about your why. And in my book, as you know, and Unleash Your Supernova, I start off with, what is your why? And it it acts as our North Star. And actually, I was just having a conversation with uh, my assistant this morning, and we were going over how we were going to best describe this new project we're working on. And the inspiration that I had really came back, came from me asking myself, well, why am I doing this project to begin with? And it's been about six or eight weeks of just being underground and only focusing on launching this project. And I had to pull back and go back to my why, and it really gave me so much clarity. So I'm excited to hear a little more about your why, Why are you interested in combining this, you know, these things that may seem unrelated, happiness, collaboration, harmony, and AI together, and doing what you do with your company, Woodpecker? What is your why? What is your North Star?
0: Okay, well, thank you. Probably it is easiest to explain if I tell you a little bit about my childhood. I grew up and I was fascinated by science and sci-fi. And this uh, led me to particle physics and computers and AI. I really loved them. But uh, the deeper I digged in these subjects, doesn't matter which one, particle physics, computers, or AI, it became more and more unavoidable to realize that it is all about human perception and therefore the human mind. So then I thought, okay, well, I turned my attention to the workings of the human mind. Then at university, I experimented with building neural networks and uh, trying to build a thinking um, machine and spent decades understanding and experimenting with how the human mind uh, works. So that was how these very, very seemingly different subjects uh, kind of joined and met each other.
1: Mm. So that's interesting that you had an interest in sci-fi, and brought that forward in studying computer science and and creating a thinking machine. <laughs> so I guess some would argue that computers are thinking machines. What were you doing differently then that would qualify what you were creating as a thinking machine? I'm curious.
0: Well, at first it was, you know, to gain, uh, you know, as a teenager, as a young man, I just wanted to have superpowers. so. So that i can achieve my dreams whatever and i mm. thought that maybe the thinking machine will help to do that but actually the more i understood about the human mind the less i needed that thinking machine and and finally i thought that there are much much better ways of using ai than trying to create a either a moron or something so, uh, which is just so much more intelligent than us either way uh, it would be useless so you know if it's so much Cleverer than us, we would not understand what it does and why it does it. So mm. there's not really any point. And if it's much you know, uh, less intelligent, then what's the point again? So I was thinking about how to use AI in different ways ever since. yeah,
1: That's really interesting because I haven't heard that perspective before with trying to, why are we trying to create something that's smarter than us? Or let me take it back. In terms of what you were saying with creating, using AI to create something that's smarter than us, why do that? And then looking at the other end, if it's not that useful or smart, why go that route as well? And so let's go to the left or the right as opposed to up and down as it relates to what we do with AI, because I feel the conversations that I've heard is, you know, creating something that can be faster better smarter whatever than us and then on the other side of the camp individuals that are fearful of ai because they feel ai is going to take over the human race or we're gonna have these robots that are gonna kill us and and so looking at ai saying okay this is something that's useful it's still useful but why don't we take a different approach so what was that different approach How did you? Where did you go from there when you came to that realization?
0: Well, as you very well described, um, computers obviously have uh, superhuman qualities in many many ways. They are much better at at um, crunching numbers. They are very patient. They are very quick Uh, in certain aspects. Their memory is pretty formidable. They can remember all sorts of things. So them and many many other things that we can use all the time with sensors and and so on. But but why don't we look at them more like, say, dogs, who will enhance us and be a symbiotic, synergic uh, partner rather than a slave or a master. So rather than that, just why don't we use what they are really good at and combine it with where we are really good and we excel and then maybe we can form something which is absolutely fantastic for humans. We are humans, so probably we will have to see everything through our own eyes. So when we want to create something, it should, in a way, build a better world for humans. This is where AI, I think, should, should help us.
1: So I have a question because, you know, there are individuals that feel that we should enhance our bodies with microchips, for example. Or what's another thing that I've seen... But anyway, let's just start with the microchips. And that's a way that we could advance ourselves. And of course, there are robots that are being created, as we know. And one of the things I noted that you shared was rather creating the master or the slave. And again, never (laughs) heard it put like that. So it's interesting how you describe AI and just give such a vivid picture in the direction that it can go. But then the alternative as well, as you stated, as it being AI, being a symbiotic partner, going back to what we mentioned earlier in the show, collaboration, harmony, which we're going to get to. So how does what you're saying differ from someone, let's say, getting enhanced by a microchip, for example?
0: Well, I think the problem is, and this is what uh, the human mind works, to me, the answer is, is almost straightforward. I mean, we have very strong views about the world, uh, the way we perceive it and in a way we have this kind of guide for life. And I think for most humans uh, to build something into us is not an appealing uh, thought and I think that's for a good reason we should consider that before trying to change ourselves so so deeply and anyway the question then would arise would it be a human being if we Build something into us that would change our mind, uh, just like being drug influenced. Is it the same human being as who is not influenced in that way? So then it just becomes: Is it a new? Uh, what would it be? What would be called something that where the, where the mind has been tampered with in any way? So I think we have to be very careful with our minds. Our minds are extremely powerful. If we use it the wrong way, then it will create a lot of damage. And chips, I think it's, it's, well, we should think twice.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting as it relates to the question, are we still human if we have microchips in us? So fascinating. I mean, technology is advancing so quickly and we have individuals with artificial limbs and things like that. And so it's an interesting question. I don't know. I personally don't want a chip inside me. (laughs) No, thanks. but I would love to hear more about how AI can be brought into our workforce, brought into our lives in a more symbiotic way. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I will admit I was definitely Mm -hmm. uh, years ago on the camp of I'm not for AI and, you know, robots ruling the world. I don't think anyone's for AI robots ruling the world, but advancing ourselves so AI doesn't outpace us. Well, we're the ones creating it. So why don't we just stop creating it? You know, <laughs> And so why are we in a race with something that we're creating? So just stop creating it. For me, that was a, the most common sense thing. And being really involved in the metaverse and blockchain and crypto as it relates to bringing art, interactive art and commerce to life, their AI is being introduced in that space more and more. And so I have definitely been more open to how AI can be applied without it wreaking havoc. But I do think it's important for us to have this very intentional approach, but also have solutions. Like you're giving us, well, here's what we can do. Here's how we can do it. I'd like to go back a little bit to your days in fashion and music and what led you to you know writing this book called The Book of Mankind. So let's just take a trip down memory lane a little bit, because this was well before you launched your software company. And you did share with us that your interest in sci-fi led you to studying computer science. But then how did you go from computer science to fashion to music, authoring a book, and then back to software and
0: Computers. Yeah, well, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but uh, here it is. AI was, uh, you know, building the thinking machine or whatever was very important to me. So after I finished university, I thought that, okay, if that is what I want to do, do I trust the big companies? Do I trust the world? with? Let's assume I, I managed to do it. So what would happen to it? How would they use it? So I decided that I'm not going to, to risk that just go my own way and then I wanted to start my company so I decided I'm going to make a lot of money and then I can do the experiments on my own and I will not depend on other people's judgment uh, so this is why I went away from uh, computer science and wanted to build a company which was far from science and and just business um, I don't know why but I love art so I was a musician at the time but I didn't want to be a musician I- Again, yet again, for the same kind of reasons. So I decided that fashion maybe was the perfect arena for me where I could try myself. I'm nowhere as, as, as talented in fashion as you are, Nova. But, but I was very enthusiastic and, and I knew that I had a very good eye for art and I could work with designers and we together, uh, together we could build and contribute something to, to fashion. So it went on for a long time. But then got too ambitious, we failed. So uh, the company went, went bankrupt. We wanted to create an international franchise system. And, well, you understand the fashion world uh, much better than I do. It was an ambitious plan, and <laughs> I was not ready for it. Anyway, so I was in a desperate situation, already had two children, and no money whatsoever, deeply in, in debt. Then I was so desperate that I had to turn back to my course. And then I said, okay, so what was I doing before all of this? And this is when the book came out. I started writing about about what I thought and what was uh, important to me. The more I spent with the book, the more I learned about myself and and the more I learned about my previous decisions. This is when I decided to restart and uh, do uh, do combine business and science and everything together. And this is when I started Woodpecker, the software company.
1: Wow. I love that journey. I mean, it's so varied. And you had the, you know, you had the awareness at a young age to say, I could create something great that could be used for something terrible. (laughs) And it didn't sit right with you. And so you decided to go to the arts and even navigating your way through the arts in terms of music, not being able to create the music you really wanted and being dictated on what to create and how to create your music. And moving on to the fashion space. And I agree, fashion, launching a fashion business is challenging for an independent company because it takes so many moving parts and team members and resources, financial resources to execute, depending on how big you want to scale and to come full circle. And, you know, some people would have given up along the way, but I loved how you just stayed so flexible and just tapping into your interests. And your gifts, and then coming full circle, you know, back to the computer science, but in a way that serves you and serves mankind, going back to the title of your book. I think that's fascinating. I think it's just, it's such an interesting story. And I'm sure we could go into some really cool tidbits of behind the scenes in the fashion company, like that roller coaster ride, I'm dying to hear about. But then in reality, What we don't hear a lot in the space of entrepreneurship are those stories where we failed. And I share in my book stories of failure because I feel that those are experiences that I learned greatly from and that I'm able to take those lessons and pass it on so someone doesn't make the same mistakes. But then also from our failures, if we're open to seeing them as like things that or lessons or experiences or time periods in our life where it gives us an opportunity to pivot or grow then we're okay with these failures and we can share them so i appreciate you sharing that story with with your journey in the fashion world and then authoring a book my question for you is in the in your perfect vision how do you see harmony and collaboration coming together with ai how does your current systems do this? Or if they don't do it right now, what would that vision look like for you? Okay, let me
0: give you a simple, well, maybe hopefully simple example about the digital workforce. The reason we call it digital is referring to technology and workforce is referring to the human workforce, the human element. So when we build a digital workforce for a company, we see that this this digital workforce is going to communicate to CEOs and the other end of the hierarchy everybody and with every person they have this very private and personal intimate communication and relationship but all of the data and all the information is collected by the digital workforce so it can help communication between people so you understand that very often managers not necessarily trust everything that their staff does. So they try and come up with all sorts of ways to to check upon them. And vice versa, staff very often do not trust management and they feel that they will be, I don't know, know, management will make their life harder. So there's this kind of distrust. I'm not saying with every company, but pretty often. And uh, this is where, for example, a digital workforce can help. Mm-hmm. by providing the necessary information to management and also to staff. Staff learns what is expected of them and can check whether they are doing well or not with this trusted um, as assist, digital assistant. And management can trust their digital assistant to check upon staff so they don't have to worry. So when they actually talk to their uh, staff, it can be about inspiration, it can be about bad goals and dreams and stuff. So they, have, they don't have to spend that much time giving them a hard time just to keep them in line, but rather could actually have forward-looking conversations. That's one example.
1: Okay, so I could see that where you can use the software, the digital workforce powered by AI to break down a lot of the barriers that exist with, within the communication line internally within a team, right? So management, to team, team, to management. And then when you're able to build that trust, then individuals are able to work more productively, more collaboratively. And I'm going to assume more creatively because they're able to let their guards down. They know that their ideas are going to be accepted. With a more trustful environment, you can feel freer to share your ideas, to be more open, to be more creative. So... I love that as a solution and how you can bring AI in to bring harmony into a workforce or into a team environment. So I thought that's great. And I think this is a really good time to pass you the mic. So in our show, as you know, and for those that are joining us for the first time, our guests are able to play host. And so Mike is going to ask me a question or two, whichever he likes, whatever comes to mind. And then we're gonna wrap up with questions from our listeners. So you ready for the mic, Mike?
0: (laughs) Yes, I am. Thank you very much. I have quite a few questions. I don't know how much time we have, but anyway, here's the first one. I don't know where I read from you, but you mentioned the psychology of fashion and that really, really interested uh, me. I would really love to learn a little bit about what does this expression psychology of fashion
1: Uh, mean to you? I love that question. While I was in grad school, you know, many moons ago, I was pursuing my PhD in clinical psychology. And although I had patients that were coming in with just basic problems, and I was building my expertise around clinical management of these different problems, I was fascinated with the question around Clothing, apparel, and how that influenced how we communicate with others, how we perceive others, and how we feel about ourselves. And the more I dug (laughs) and researched, the more fascinated I became, the more intrigued I became, and I started doing experiments around these questions. And it was interesting that if you had two people come in a room dressed in the identical outfit, so let's say two women, one wearing a blue dress, one wearing a red dress, and there were no other differences, like hair color was the same, eyes, I mean, a height was the same, etc. But the only variance were the dresses, you would have a completely different impression about those two individuals, just based on the color that they were wearing. And you could say that for silhouette, there's texture as well. Silhouette as it relates to the shapes of the garments. And then internally, how does what you wear impact, how you see yourself, how you feel, and the story you want to communicate to the outside world. And when you think of psychology and the study of the mind and human behavior, maybe behavior that can be trained or or predicted, all of those same rules apply to what we wear, why we wear it and how it impacts us. And so when you're looking at emotions or you're looking at intentions, you can use fashion to assist you and or it could hinder you as well. And so there are certain types of fibers, there are certain types of silhouettes that would make us feel more confident and will allow us to project ourselves to be taller or more assertive. There is a science behind it. And I think that science is powerful and it's out there for those of us that want to use that as another tool in our basket, right? In our toolkit. So just as we have pens and pencils and laptops and iPhones, our clothing is another form of a tool for us to communicate our stories to whatever that is, to affect our own moods and actions, to assist us on whatever journey we have. So for example, I used to write an article for Bedford Magazine and It was something like ask the fashion therapist or something like that. And so there would be questions that would come in and individuals would have some quandary around what they would wear. And it was something like, oh, I'm going to this major, this big event in Arizona, for example, and I'll be sitting at the table with XYZ, notable personality. What do I wear? And so like keeping in mind the environment, the climate, the purpose of the event, who you may be interacting with, you could literally boil that down to the perfect outfit (laughs) to maximize that moment in time. And so I just think it's fascinating when we, you know, stop for a moment and think about the psychology of clothes and fashion as we would when we think about how food makes us feel, you know, and how it affects our bodies and impacts us as well. So I love that question. I haven't had that before.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh my God, I'm going to use some of these thoughts with my own daughter. (laughs) That's that's absolutely brilliant. Another question, a very different question, I think, is that reading quite a lot of what you have uh, put out, if I understand it correctly, in your view, our imagination can manifest uh, things, maybe even objects in, in reality. First, am I understanding your words correctly? And if if so, I would really like to hear what you mean by that.
1: Absolutely. So, for example, if you look around you, you may be, you know, sitting on a chair, your feet may be touching carpet or tiles or wood planks. There might be a vase in front of you. There's maybe archways or peaked ceilings. Well, all of those things before they were made into a physical object or design started with a thought. You know, before I bought my laptop, which is an Apple, someone had the thought of creating this machine that could sit in front of me on my table, on my desk, in this shape, in this form with this function. That was a thought before it became an actual object. And I think we take for granted the power of our thoughts and how that if followed through, they could become tangible, physical, three-dimensional objects. And that is what I'm saying. When we talk about manifestation, we're talking about creation. And so it can be a story that turns into a book, a poem, spoken word, a song, or it could turn into a film and or it's, design. You know, I'm thinking of a beaded gown, red, and the beads reflect light and the shape of the gown is a mermaid. And I could take that thought, turn it into a sketch, pass it on to someone who can sew it. And now I have this physical representation of what I had thought about maybe days or weeks before. And so I think a lot of times we take for granted that Everything that's around us started with an idea, an inspiration, a thought. And if we understand that, that could turn into something that's not so positive and it could turn into something that's magnificent. And it's funny because the project that I've been working on these last uh, few months to bring to life is a launchpad for NFTs and how we can reinvent storytelling. And so I'm bringing to life characters but representing them in visual form in the form of an NFT, a smart contract. But that started off as a thought. And the main character and first character that's being released can actually manifest physical objects almost instantly. (laughs) So it's just funny when you said that my mind went right to Lana. And yeah, there might be a lot of us that can manifest almost instantly. But I think it's a superpower if we, again, see it as a tool. Our thoughts are tools as well they carry a lot of power, and we can create both amazing things and not so great things with our thoughts as well as we can see around us. Okay,
0: very, very good. I I will have some more questions on that, but maybe not now. Also, I am obviously fascinated by the human mind, and I find that when looking into different cultures, I think I'm in a position where I can look into at least two cultures, but you, very much the same in my eyes, I think you have a very good intimate understanding of uh, the Jamaican and the American culture. I just wonder if the first question would be how different do you think they are, and how distant they would be from each other compared to other cultures on
1: that is a really interesting question, and I'm just going to some of the some of the things I take for granted because I just grew up here in the US, but I grew up in a very large family unit and where our culture was very prominent within our home, within our family, our extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins weekends I spent with my extended family or friends of family. Um so I was constantly surrounded by my Jamaican culture, even though I went to school and grew up here in the US. So it did feel like I was living in two worlds in a sense. I mean, I, I only ate Jamaican food. We didn't really do fast food. Maybe once or twice a year, we would go to a fast food restaurant, like physically drive and sit and eat in a fast food restaurant. And that was a special occasion when we were little as kids as a treat. But so home cooked, slow cooked meals were a big thing. And we learned to cook at a young age. I was... In the kitchen, watching my parents cook when I was 11, to then start cooking for the family by 13, um, full meals. And it was a big family. I'm one of six. So at minimum, it was eight people that I was cooking for at minimum. And it was never that small number because we always had friends over or family over. And so that number usually was like covering around 12 or so. So just imagine cooking at 13, imagine cooking for about 12 people on a regular basis. And the food had to be super flavorful and, and as if we were cooking in Jamaica. <laughs> you know. So I learned traditional recipes. Also, our family unit is really close and just multi-generational activities was very common. So the youngest children would be around the oldest members in the family all the time. When there were events or parties, it was a celebration of all the generations. And so everyone went to the weddings. Everyone went to the baby birthday parties. <laughs> Sustainability is something that we, it wasn't a word that we would use, but it was a way of life for us. So recycling everything, passing things down, passing down clothes and whatever was in good condition, may it be jewelry, clothes, shoes, what do you call it? dishes, whatever it was. So not being wasteful is something also that was instilled in us. And then being very connected to nature and you know growing we grew our um, herbs and for a long time <laughs> we would just use the outside for even drying clothes and just being again very mindful of what we used and how much we used and things like that and part of it could have been influenced by the fact that my parents did grow up in Jamaica they grew up in the countryside and so they brought a lot of those lessons to us even though we grew up in the suburbs in the Northeast here in the U S. And so I would say from food to having multi-generational living to even just the Jamaican dialect, some of the words are different and we had our own slang words and things like that. How we interacted with our elders was also something that I saw was very different from how my friends would interact with their parents and their, their elders. And so those are some of the things that jump out. And then being immigrants, I was born in Jamaica and, and my parents immigrated here. So there was also just a strong emphasis on education and how important that is for us as children. And so education was just a really big, strong focal point and continuous learning is still something that I strive for. Um, huge reader, love books and love sharing knowledge. And that's even stories, you know, verbal, vocal stories, uh, very common to be passed down throughout the family and those generations as well. and so that's something maybe the storytelling in me also comes from just uh, part of our something that's part of our culture as well. so that was a long answer to your question, but I hope it helped <laughs> answer your question. Oh well it,
0: immensely to be perfect honest I'm so so interested and if I can just dig a little uh, deeper because you had this firsthand experience of seeing the world through different eyes through different cultures when you meet people from other cultures new york you know thousands of cultures there do you ever try and see their universe just try and and guess what their universe could be like because of their culture because of how they were brought up
1: absolutely i feel that's just a part of who i am and have always had an intrigue and language and culture. I learned Spanish, started learning Spanish in middle school and and had um, some really good friends that I grew up with that I was able to continuously practice my Spanish outside of school because I was just interested in communicating with them in their native tongue. And I just, I was the coolest thing as a kid, be able to speak another language. <laughs> it's just, it, it's, it's almost like having a superpower. I thought like, oh, I could understand these other words and speak it. And and um, that inspired me to study and live abroad. And I actually went uh, to Spain and lived there for about six months. And and I've always had an intrigue in culture. And, and perhaps it's because I grew up in a culture that was very different from the culture I experienced in school. And still to this day, when I launched Rain, the three areas I wanted to focus on were fashion, culture, and technology. When I was in grad school, my specialization was multiculturalism. And so it's just a part of who I am. And again, maybe because I was from a different culture, lived in that culture within this American culture and always I never felt 100 percent American or 100 percent Jamaican because I lived in these two worlds and sort of had to split between these two worlds constantly. And when you feel that you're a different, I guess, from you know, others and you tend to have more sensitivity to others that are different. And for me, I always had a curiosity. I always wanted to learn more. And how do they see the world? How do they feel? So I think it's fascinating. And and now I'm writing a book about <laughs> aliens coming to Earth. So we're looking at a whole nother world and perspective and this character coming to this new world and and being able to experience what it's like to be human, let alone what it's like to be from another country. Yeah, so that's me. That's my world. And I feel it's just something that's a part of me. And I really appreciate the questions. I feel that we can like go on and on, volleying back and forth with these. So thank you so much. Uh, it was a great time for me to take back the mic. And I'm going to wrap up with one question from our listeners. And the question is, you mentioned harmony and you were also a musician. How would you define harmony as it relates to your current work with AI and software systems? Oh,
0: well, um, I think harmony is when every part supports the other in some way. So they are not against each other and not uh, competing in a horrible way with each other, but supporting each other. So in music, where every note is supporting the others, and together they create something which is so much more than the individual node. This is the way I look at uh, AI and enhancing people, so people become more than themselves, but not being, uh, in a way, dominated by by anything else, and not dominating uh, AI uh, either. So they don't have this kind of competition either. Just trying to uh, create some kind of synergy. But to me, it would be absolutely fantastic to take it to, to the extreme and maybe to get the whole globe to, to try and work on helping each other and, and achieving the best possible world for everything in it. Some of us, we sometimes refer to this as this Genesis project. So this is what harmony means to me. It doesn't matter whether it's music or business or, or the environment or whatever. It is always this kind of harmony that, that I think uh, I seek.
1: Amazing. I love that. I love how you were able to, I see it as poetry, poetically share how music overlays with how we can strive to be the best version of ourselves and how AI can enhance that journey and not necessarily compete or overtake, but just enhance it. And how all of this can be in balance, all of this can be harmonious. So love the, I love the musical analogy there. Thank you so much, and thank you for coming on Unleash Your Supernova, the podcast. I absolutely enjoyed the conversation, and truly feel like we could have gone on for hours. I really appreciate you, Mike. So thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Noah. It was such an honor. Thank you very much indeed.
1: And I want to thank our listeners yet again for joining us for another episode of Unleash Your Supernova, where you are on a journey of creativity, manifestation, and mindfulness, where we show you how you can tap into and become the brightest version of yourself. And so if you love what you heard today, please subscribe and share and spread the word about Unleash Your Supernova. And if you have not yet gotten the book, What are you waiting for? Get the book. It's at your favorite bookstores, Unleash Your Supernova, your guide to surviving this crazy marathon of creative entrepreneurship and showing you how to increase your creativity and beat burnout along the way. I am your host, Nova Lorraine. And until next time, ciao.